Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Good morning, Vermont. It is uh, 9.05. I'm Lee Cattell in for Pat McDonald on Vermont Viewpoint this morning here on WDEV FM and AM. Got a great show lined up for you, and you are invited and encouraged to participate in our show today to speak with the guests that we have. The phone numbers and the open lines are 802-244-1777. The toll-free number from everywhere is 1-877-291-8255. In the 10 o'clock hour, we will welcome in Gary Freimeyer, the president, and Wayne Pickett, the secretary and treasurer of the USS Vermont Support Group. That uh, battle, uh, that ship has headed to Pearl Harbor and held their recent arrival ceremony. And we'll find out all about the USS Vermont's Trip to Hawaii uh, coming up in the second hour. In our opening hour here, it pleases me to welcome in Kim Lipinski, the Director of Nutrition and Wellness at the Central Vermont Council on Aging, and we're going to talk about Vermont culinary heritage. Kim, good morning, and welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Now, I have a little bit of history in Vermont, maybe some heritage. I go back a few generations. So when I think about Vermont heritage in terms of food, the first two words that come to mind, of course, are maple syrup, but that's too easy. Uh, But Vermont has had a long connection with locally owned food and and creating a lot of what we eat right here on the grounds in which we live. That's right. So what is the Central Vermont Council on Aging uh, as the Director of Nutrition and Wellness? Uh, what is your number one goal in your position? Well, um, primarily we contract with 13 meal sites to produce Meals on Wheels meals for older adults in Vermont. We also provide evidence-based programming for these older adults in Vermont, things such as Tai Chi classes and um, other um, enrichment activities. So in light of the recent flooding in July, has that affected any of the services that you provide with the Central Vermont Council on Aging? Well, we're, we have our meals getting out every day. There were um, a few days that might have been missed by some of our meal sites, not all. Um, but everyone was up and running within about 24, 48 hours. Um, so it wasn't really terribly impacted as far as meal delivery. We did have clients that were impacted, and our helpline was very busy get, connecting them with resources and services. We also had an influx of persons needing Meals on Wheels, so we've been getting them signed up and um, getting meals to them. So the recent flooding has prompted an increase in demand of your services. Correct. So as the Director of Nutrition and Wellness, how are you going to carry on through the remainder of this fiscal year with an increase in what is needed for you? How are you going to, how are you going to deal with that increase in demand? 
Oh, we're able to handle it. We have the capacity to carry quite a few more clients and um, meals, meals getting out. So um, it's nothing we can't handle. And as far as helping uh, folks of a certain age in maintaining a proper health and nutrition, it's important that you get not just any foods in there. And, of course, folks of a certain age are also more likely to have certain sorts of dietary restrictions. And uh, are, how careful are you folks to uh, work around that to make sure that some of your customers don't get foods that they may not actually be able to uh, take into their bodies very well? Well, the content of the meal is very carefully prescribed by the Older Americans Act. So it needs to have a certain amount of protein, vegetables, fruit, whole grains, and dairy products. And that has to equal 33 and a third of the dietary reference intakes. What that means is that you should be getting one-third of your daily nutrients in the Meals on Wheels meal. As far as um, meeting the needs of special dietary uh, restrictions that people have, we are working really hard to train our meal um, providers to be able to prepare therapeutic meals for many different types of conditions. Um, for example, for diabetics, for people that have um, that need a renal diet, um, people that need soft foods or pureed foods. Um, and that sort of thing. So we have a basic menu, which is a low-sodium, heart-healthy meal, and then we have other meals for to, to suit the medical conditions that people are living with. We're talking with Kim Lipinski. She's the Director of Nutrition and Wellness at the Center of Vermont Council on Aging, talking about Vermont Kil culinary heritage and uh, nutritional values for senior citizens. Kim, what resources are you using to acquire food for your program? Um, well, you mean um, who do we purchase from? Sure. Oh, sure. So we have lots of, first we have lots of farms that provide produce to our nutrition sites to be included in the meals. And that's real. That's really important that we have enough. That we have fruit, fresh fruit and vegetables to be included. At least seventy-five percent of the meals that we serve must have fresh fruit and vegetables, and a good portion of those come from Vermont farms. Other other foods that are needed are ordered, um, you know, through Cisco and large food, you know, providers such as that. And are you working directly with farmers to make these arrangements, or is your acquisition more through, say, the gleaning programs that are up and around throughout the state? Oh, both. Our, our nutrition sites work directly with farms, and the gleaning programs in our state also work directly with our nutrition programs. We receive literally tons and tons of gleaned vegetables uh, from these gleaning programs, which really help to support the nutrition programs. Is there any concern with the flooding that we've had over this summer? A lot of local crops have been wiped out and rendered unavailable for use of any type. So are you looking toward the horizon and with some concern that there may not be enough food coming in this fall? I think we're going to be okay. Um, we've done an assessment of the farms that are serving our nutrition sites, and 
Um, for example, one farm in Johnson is able to procure vegetables from other sources and still provide the contracts that we have with them for our nutrition site. My guest is Kim Lipinski, the Director of Nutrition and Wellness at the Central Vermont Council on Aging to discuss Vermont culinary heritage. And uh, when we talk about culinary heritage, Kim, what we're talking about is recipes that have been passed down through families from generation to generation and carrying on those important recipes, and you're compiling an effort to put them all in one place. That's right, Lee. So we have received a grant from Meals on Wheels America to create this recipe database, and the project is twofold. The first part of it is uh, will involve collecting recipes from Vermonters, which are family recipes, um, so that we can preserve our culinary heritage. Um, now, that could be anything that you have been making in your family over the years um, that you would like to submit. Um, we are putting out a call for entries for these recipes, and anyone who would like to send one in to us can email that to recipes at cvcoa.org. Um, these recipes are going to be used as a, um, you know, a historical reference, of course, but also we're looking to incorporate them into our Meals on Wheels programs. So because our Meals on Wheels programs have very strict guidelines on the content of the meal, some recipes may have to be rewritten slightly, for example, to become a low-sodium version um, in order to be included in the Meals on Wheels program. Um, the other part of these recipes that's really important when people submit them is we want to know the stories behind that recipe. So who made this recipe? Where did it come from? What are the traditions in your family around this recipe? Um, all of that is really important for context. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about some of these older recipes that might call for an ingredient like lard. That's hard to find an item like that in contemporary uh, circles. Yes, exactly. So um, a lot of recipes do, if, in order to be used today, do have to be updated. We're working with a professional chef to do that, and we're also working with a dietitian as a team to, to update recipes. Um, it's very interesting when you start reading recipes from history. For example, I have a cookbook from the 1840s at home, and when you read a, a recipe that needs to be baked in an oven, well, they were cooking on wood stoves then. So how do you know what the temperature of your oven is? The recipe will say a fast oven, a moderate oven, or a slow oven. And there are temperatures that are associated to those distinctions. But how would you know what it is? So there's a, there's a method described in the cookbook where you take a one-inch square of paper and you toss it in the oven and you count how many seconds it takes to burn and turn to ash. And that's how you know if you have a slow, moderate, or a fast oven. Um, so, you know, in addition to finding ingredients that are different, um, there's also the baking temperatures that you need to figure out. Oh, two, 180 years ago, recipes from the 1840s. Yeah, they probably didn't include instructions like place in microwave and, yeah, that, 
What a what an adjustment uh, folks have had to make. And it, this also, I think, Kim, gives the modern uh, kitchen person a lot of appreciation for how much simpler it is to make a great recipe and a great meal today than it was that long ago. Oh, sure. Another thing that is written in this book is um, it never says one cup of flour. It always tells you go to the miller and ask for a certain percentage of, like, for example, wheat flour and a certain percentage of rye flour to come up with the flour at a certain grind even for this recipe. So that starts to get pretty tricky when you're, you know, doing modern cooking. But these are the kinds of things that you run into with truly historical recipes. I want uh, folks out there who are listening, uh, if you are so moved, to chime in with your thoughts of the quintessential Vermont meal, uh, a a Vermont heritage-style meal. Your thoughts about great Vermont uh, culinary uh, dinners. I want to hear from you today, 802-244-1777, toll-free 877-291-8255. Kim is the Director of Nutrition and Wellness at the Central Vermont Council on Aging, and she's building a database of Vermont recipes. And, Kim, I suspect there might be a few folks out there that will say, I can't give you this information. It's a family (laughs) secret. That's right. That's right. And I can respect that. Um, I also want to emphasize that, um, you know, if you have a recipe that is not hundreds of or decades years old, it can still be a part of your family history. So perhaps it's just you who is creating this recipe now in your generation. And there's no reason why that can't be included, too. So Um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that the second part of this project, this database project, is is really about having recipes for therapeutic meals for our clients now, today. So that it, it's really important that we build up a database of recipes that all of the meal providers for Meals on Wheels in our entire state can reach out to and use um, to create these therapeutic meals that are so needed for people. Now, when you say you make slight adjustments to these recipes to uh, fit your clientele or our senior citizens who generally were working with lower sodium, lower gluten, uh, and uh, other different dietary restrictions. So you're making slight changes to these recipes, but is there a place where you're storing the original unchanged recipe, and are you keeping that, or are you just putting the altered recipe on the database? Oh, no, we're, there'll be a section that's the historical recipes. And in that area, that's where you're going to see the recipe as written. You might even see an image of a scanned recipe card, for example. Um, and that's also where the stories that are associated to the, with the recipes will live. The recipes that are going to be used in the Meals on Wheels program will be separate and, and um, used for that purpose. We're talking with Kim Lipinski, the Director of Nutrition and Wellness with the Center Vermont Council on Aging, discussing Vermont culinary heritage. You're invited to join us, 802-244-1777, toll-free 877-291-8255. Linda from Addison, you're on Vermont Viewpoint with Kim Lipinski. Good morning, Linda. 
Hi. Um, I'm thinking about baked beans as a uh, longtime uh, family recipe. And, um, you know, it's got a good dollop of maple syrup in it. But I don't make it that often anymore because it calls for two ounces of salt pork. And I've cut it down to one ounce, and it still sort of works. But if there isn't enough, uh, I don't know, fat coating the beans, they just turn to mush. So I wonder how you might adapt uh, baked bean recipes. And I'll just hang up and listen. Oh, thank you very much for the call, Linda. Any thoughts on that, Kim? Um, yeah, sometimes we swap out something like lard for a healthier fat. But to, in order to do that, there would have to be quite a lot of testing that would happen. And that's where I turn to our professional chef that we contract with to come up with these swaps to make something healthier. But it still has to taste delicious. It still has to hold together. And like you said, it can't turn to mush. That's right. And you might find a lighter, more healthy ingredient like olive oil doesn't do to the other ingredients what salt pork would. So I can see why there's a little bit of uh, almost alchemy in figuring out how to readjust these recipes to fit the, the new dietary uh, guidelines. Oh, absolutely. There's quite a lot of chemistry involved here with food. And uh, baked beans, that's a classic Vermont dish, of course. Folks have been serving up baked beans in the state for a long, long time. And uh, and I bet there's a lot of different families out there with a lot of variations of just that thing that they put into their baked bean dish to make it their own. Yes, and I hope that people send re- their baked bean recipes in because you, ideally when this is this project is completed, you would be able to look at a dozen or more baked bean recipes and pick out the one that, you know, appeals to you. I bet every one of them will come in to you to say, I know you get a lot of baked bean recipes, but this one's the best. Yeah, yeah. Kim, Kim Lipinski, the Director of Nutrition and Wellness, Central Vermont Council on Aging. What? Uh, how about a story to tell us how this whole idea came about? Well, it, it all started quite a few years ago um, when I was cooking for an elderly gentleman in Cambridge, Vermont. And the first day I met him, we sat across the kitchen table from each other to talk about what kind of food he was like, you know, for me to prepare. So he had clutched in his hands a recipe box from his wife who had passed away 22 years previously. And he pushed that recipe box across the table to me. It was quite a treasure for him and shared it with me. And he said, if you could cook anything in there for me, I will be happy. I haven't tasted one of those recipes in 22 years. And that really taught me how important culinary history is within families and what the meaning of comfort food really is. And that's going to be different for every person. Your comfort food is what you grew up with and what you turn to, um, you know, for, for, for satisfaction in that way. And so I worked and cooked for this gentleman for about five years. And it was really interesting as we worked through that recipe box, um, the types of foods that, that we would make. One of the, his favorite recipes though, was one that came from his mother, and that was passed down from her mother. And it was over a hundred years old when he shared it to me with me. And that was a recipe for donuts, um, just simple donuts. 
that you fry. And I would make those, I would make four dozen donuts for him about, oh, I don't know, about every two or three weeks. And we'd put them in baggies of two. And those donuts would go into his freezer. And the reason I did this was because even though he couldn't cook and his wife was no longer there to cook for him, when he had visitors, he wanted to be able to offer them something homemade. And Mm. so when he knew that someone was coming, he'd take a little baggie of a couple donuts out of the freezer and let them defrost and have them ready for his visitor to share with him um, as a, you know, a way of having really nice hospitality. And so this old 100-year-old donut recipe really carried a lot of significance in his life and contributed to his well-being and his lifestyle. Um, and so it's, I just can't emphasize enough how important food is to older adults and the memories that are attached to that food. It's so much more than just nourishment. Kim, this has been a great effort. How long ago did this effort launch? Well, we just received the funding a little over a week ago. However, we applied for the grant quite some time ago. I've been working on this project for quite a number of years, um, just personally, uh, as a passion project, looking for ways to develop it into something that could, to what it is today. And uh, so the, how many, so the, the, if somebody's got a recipe and they say, I got something I got to send along, how do they do that? They would email it to us at recipes at cvcoa.org. Um, they can take a photo and send that image of it. If it's a recipe card, um, they can scan it and send it to us, um, you know, whatever works. Recipes at cvcoa.org. Org. Have you gotten any recipes in yet? Yes, I do. I'm starting to go through them already. It's wonderful. Well, what kind of recipes have you received so far? Let's see. I have recipes for a, two different types of vegetable pie. We have, um, gosh, all kinds of casseroles that are coming in, different versions of um, scalloped potatoes I have. Oh, um, some macaroni casseroles. I even have recipes that I haven't received yet, but have been promised from the Vermont Depart- Department of Historical Preservation that are from the family of President Calvin Coolidge. So they're they're coming in. All right, and uh, yeah, when you that's funny when you start to talk about casseroles. That's what I'm thinking is a quintessential Vermont meal. Make a big dish full of something and have everybody stick their spoon in there. Things like shepherd's pie and goulash are probably a lot of things where folks have their their own unique angle to make that recipe their own. Oh, exactly. Those are wonderful dishes. Scalloped potatoes is another one, and uh, casserole dishes I can see would be immensely uh, popular for folks. So, again, if you have that recipe out there and you want to share it, uh, recipes at cvcoa.org. Talk with Kim Lipinski, the Director of Nutrition and Wellness. Kim, about how many people are being served with meals by the Center Vermont Council on Aging? Do we know that? Oh, sure. It's between eight and 900. 
um, clients that are being served with Meals on Wheels um, specifically. That number varies, you know, from month to month. And you say you are the Central Vermont Council, so are we covering Washington County or do we go beyond? What area do we cover? Lamoille County, uh, Washington County. We, we cover 54 towns. All right. And uh, and if folks want to get involved in that. Orange County and Addison, too. Okay, Orange and Addison counties. And if folks are listening and they say, oh, that Meals on Wheels program sounds like it'd be perfect for me, how do uh, they get that ball rolling? Oh, the best thing to do um, if, well, I would give you the helpline number that's a statewide number. And if you call that, they can direct you to the area agency on aging that serves your town. So that number is 800-642-5119. 802-642-5119. Right. All right. Hey, we're talking with Kim Lipinski about some of the classic Vermont culinary dishes over the many generations. And if you have a recipe that you'd like to send along for this database, you can send it to recipes at cvcoa.org. And if you want to join us here on the conversation to talk about your quintessential Vermont recipe, you're invited. 802-244-1777 and toll free from everywhere, one 291 8255. Today is August 8th, and Kim, I see it is National Sneak Some Zucchini Into Your Neighbor's Porch Day. Everybody wants to unload their zucchini. A lot of folks have more than they know what to do with. Have we received any zucchini recipes in the database? I haven't received zucchini recipes yet, but boy, we're going to need a lot of those. Oh, <laughs> he certainly will. Uh, mine includes just, you know, I find zucchini and oregano go very well together. And then a little melted cheese on top with a little bit of chopped up tomatoes. I can eat a lot of zucchini that way. That sounds delicious. Maybe a little sausage, too. Uh, maybe I've got a recipe to send along. What am I talking about? Uh, sounds like you do. The other thing that uh, folks have a lot of at the end of the year, and maybe they don't know what to do with it all, is items like squash and turnip. My mom had a very clever way to get us kids to eat turnip. Uh, she would she would grind it up and then put half carrot in it. So it wasn't all turnip. It was carrot and turnip, loaded it with butter. And what do you know? The kids liked it that way. Oh, it sounds really good to me, too. You can also put turnips and stir them into your mashed potatoes. It sweetens it up a little. Well, uh, my mom was French-Canadian, and those folks brought down a lot of ingenuity in their cooking. I suspect there's quite a bit of French influence in Vermont's culinary heritage. I would agree with you, and I'm looking forward to getting some of those recipes, like the meat pies, for example, that are so wonderful that come out of Quebec. Ah, uh, no doubt. The touchier is a very common. I know a lot of, almost every French mother thinks their touchier is the best, and uh, it is really good. Love that meat pie. And uh, and again, here in central Vermont, in the Berry area, there's a huge Italian community, so I bet uh, there's uh, quite a bit of Italian variety in Vermont's culinary culture as well. I would agree with you there, and I'm looking forward to getting those recipes, too. 
And when when you were going back to uh, cooking with your uh, friend there in Cambridge as you worked uh, with him and made those great meals for him, I suspect it probably made you a more talented uh, chef in the kitchen. Oh, there were a lot of challenges, yes. Um, but a culinary challenge is one that I welcome every day of the week. So as we... Uh, Come along here into this database. Uh, you again are asking folks to donate recipes and then uh, you are making alterations to them for, uh, say a diet for a senior citizen. So you, you tend to limit salt. What are the, what are some of the other alterations you may make to a recipe to uh, fit the guidelines? Oh, perhaps the type of oil or fat that's being used could be swapped out for a healthier fat. Um, it's important that our meals also have vitamin A and vitamin C. So if there's a way to, like, boost the vitamin content, that's always a good idea. And you mentioned the uh, donut recipe. Uh, donuts are a, a wonderful thing to have here in the morning. And uh, one recipe in so far, any tricks to making outstanding donuts? Uh, we're, yeah. Um, being patient with the dough, it, it takes a lot of practice to really understand the consistency that the dough needs to make, you know, needs to have to, to make a nice donut. And then when you're frying, you just have to pay real careful attention so that you cook them exactly right. All right. Uh, well, I've, I've had a few donuts that aren't quite cooked all the way through and nothing to ruin a breakfast faster than that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kim Lipinski is the Director of Nutrition and Wellness with the Central Vermont Council on Aging. And uh, folks from all over Vermont who have great ideas for their recipes are encouraged to send them along, uh, perhaps to immortalize them or at least let folks in other communities know how good you've been eating all these generations. Recipes at cvcoa.org. And I suspect, Kim, this might not necessarily be all the ancient recipes from days of yore, although you're certainly encouraging people to uh, ask for that. But if there are some more contemporary contributions entered in and sent to you, are you going to consider those too? Oh, absolutely. I believe culinary history is being made every day. So, again, whether it's a new recipe or an old one, uh, you can send them to recipes at cvcoa.org. So, have your uh, years in working in these, uh, with these recipes and learning about uh, making these wonderful dishes improved your skills as a, as a cook? Oh, absolutely. I was cooking for a couple at one point who had a favorite meal that they used to get from a restaurant in New York City. And they wanted nothing more than for me to figure out how to make that recipe. Um, it was a Brazilian recipe from a Brazilian restaurant. And she was able to give me the name of the restaurant. And so I researched that restaurant, and I actually found a restaurant review that talked about that specific dish from the 1960s. And so I was able to get a list of ingredients, and I tested that recipe and practiced it many different ways 
until I got it just right. And finally, I was able to cook it and serve it to them. And they could relive those memories that they had decades earlier when they had their careers and were living in New York City. Um, and that was just wonderful. Um, that, that brings up another aspect of having these historical recipes or family recipes. And that is um, I spent a number of years as a caregiver for persons with different types of dementias. And one thing that I learned is that these, these particular people really need to have food from their childhoods or their younger years. And that that is what is going to be comforting for them. And that's what they are going to recognize as food that's going to nourish them. And if you try to try out new recipes and modern foods with people that are struggling with dementias, it's very difficult for them. But if you create foods that they had when they were younger, they recognize them and it's comforting to them. So that, that was a, a really important bit of knowledge to have when caring for per persons with the different types of dementias. That's uh, very interesting. And uh, also, uh, Kim... Over the course of these many generations, there's been a lot of uh, changes in the food that's been available to Vermonters over the years. Of course, in a lot of the 19th century and early 20th century, there were so many sheep farmers in the state of Vermont that I suspect there were a lot more lamb recipes from back in the day than you're finding in the present age. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. When I look at the um, antique cookbooks that I have, they certainly do have quite a bit more lamb than we have in our books today. Any other uh, meats from back in the day that folks might be more inclined to steer away from today? Oh, I don't know. I think um, in Vermont, venison is eaten quite a lot, but maybe not everywhere. Um, and I think it's wonderful. Mm, that venison is a, a delicacy for a lot of folks, uh, Vermonters, to enjoy in the fall season when uh, the hunting season starts up. Uh, and I suspect there are quite a few uh, very successful venison dishes that are in kitchens and homes around the state of Vermont that are just waiting to be sent along to you. Yes, and those are the recipes you're just not going to find in a cookbook today. They, you know, these, these kinds of recipes live in people's homes. And, you know, could disappear if they're not shared. Well, we're seven minutes away from the top of the hour. And again, if you want to have a question or a comment for Kim Lipinski, you're encouraged. 802-244-1777 is the number to join us here on Vermont Viewpoint this morning. But as we move toward the top of the hour, Kim, maybe we should leave some room for dessert uh, there are a lot of great sweet recipes here in the state of Vermont, of course, with maple syrup as our leading export crop. I imagine there are probably quite a few people with maple ideas available for you. Oh, we would love that, sure. Um, desserts, of course, are limited in the Meals on Wheels program, but they, there will be no limit for dessert recipes in the historical record. 
Well, there you go. Save some room for dessert, and you can offer up those recipes for dessert as well. The email is recipes at cvcoa.org. So if you want to help out and make a contribution to the, the new database that's being created, recipes at cvcoa.org. And, Kim, I, I want to congratulate you because you've found a way to... Uh, to channel the passion in your life into a career and an opportunity for folks to contribute something that will benefit us all. Thank you so much. Yes, I love coming to work every single day. It's it's wonderful. If you were going to make uh, one thing for our Radio Vermont audience for dinner tonight, what would it be? Oh, goodness. Uh, let's see. I have the recipes that are favorites in my family. Um, one of those is a Spanish dish, actually, um, with garlic and oil and shrimp. That's really delicious. And you serve it with French bread that you dip into the oil. It has smoked paprika in it and just a ton of garlic. Wow. It's that... called, yeah, it, it's delicious. It's called gambas al ajillo. And um, I started making that about 20 years ago when my husband came back from a business trip in Spain and insisted that I figure out how to make this. So with a lot of recipe testing and research, I did figure it out. All right. So your own alchemy there in uh, in your kitchen to help create. What what was the name of that dish again? It's gambas al ajillo, which translates to just garlic shrimp. Oh, there we go. Uh, a lot easier for me to handle that right. Hey, uh, Kim, I appreciate you giving us the time this morning. Uh, the Director of Nutrition and Wellness at the Center of Vermont Council on Aging. We've been chatting about Vermont culinary heritage here on WDEV. And again, if you want to send along your recipe, it's recipes at cvcoa.org. And Kim, there's a number that people can call as well if they want to connect with you. Um, no, we have a helpline number if people need, you know, to find resources through the Area Agency on Aging. Um, people can call my direct number if they like. That would be 802-476-2739 if they'd like to talk about this recipe project with me. All right. Uh, 802. Give me that number one more time, please. 802-476-2739. And I will be receiving those emails that go to the recipes address, so they can email me at that address as well. All right. Kim Lipinski, the Director of Nutrition and Wellness with the Central Vermont Council on Aging. I very much appreciate you joining me. I'm glad we had the opportunity to chat today. Thank you so much. Uh, this is Vermont Viewpoint here on WDEV FM and AM. I'm Lee Cattell filling in for Pat McDonald this morning. On the way in the next hour, we're going to chat with Gary Freimeyer, the president, and Wayne Pickett, the secretary and treasurer of the USS Vermont Support Group, the USS Vermont ship has headed to Pearl Harbor. They have held their arrival ceremony, and we're going to find out all about that and more coming up in the next hour here on Vermont Viewpoint. On the way today, uh, in the 11 o'clock hour, we'll bring you live coverage of Governor Phil Scott's briefing regarding the state's response to flooding. Also on the way at the noon hour, we've got the Fairness to Fans contest. 
And this afternoon at 1 o'clock, Joel Nashman will be checking in from the Addison County Fair and Field Days. It is the opening day of Vermont's largest agricultural fair. And Joel will be uh, giving us some live reports throughout the morning right here on uh, Vermont's uh, news and sports leader, WDEV, FM, and AM. And Red Sox baseball tonight. After a walk-off grand slam last night, the Sox are going to try and put a winning streak together. 6-10 the pregame and 7-10 first pitch right here on the stations of Radio Vermont. And uh, leading in, of course, the Brady Farkas Show with 40 minutes of sports talk starting at 5.30 tonight. Well, it's a gray, rainy day outside here in the Green Mountains. Hope you make the most of it. We'll be back with another full hour of Vermont Viewpoint here on the stations of Radio Vermont, WDEV, FM, and AM streaming at WDEVradio.com. In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. This is Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV FM and AM. Lee Cattell in for Pat McDonald this morning. And in our second hour, we welcome in Gary Freimeyer, the president, and Wayne Pickett, the secretary and treasurer of the USS Vermont Support Group. Gary, good morning and welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. Uh, Glad to be here with you, Lee. And uh, Wayne, we're glad to have you aboard this uh, morning as well. Thank you, Lee. It's good to be here. Let's get right to it. The headline from Sea Power, the official publication of the Navy League of the U.S., reads, USS Vermont arrives at new home port in Joint Base Pearl Harbor-Hickman on July 27, 2023, and you both were there. Go ahead. Indeed we were. Wayne, let's start with you. Talk about that event and uh, and what it meant to you to be a part of that uh, that celebration. Well, it was a tremendous event. It was a, a, a big honor to be able to be part of it. And as part of the support group, knowing that we contributed to help make it to be the success that it was. Um, we were sorry to see the Vermont go across to Pearl, but they are being welcomed with open arms. The... Uh, uh, Navy League and the squadron were very helpful to us in arranging everything uh, to make the event a, a big success. Um, it truly was a, a blessing to be able to be there. So it arrived in Hawaii. Coming from where? It uh, came out of Groton, Connecticut. They left um, uh, mid-June uh, from uh, the Navy base down in New London and made the trip around through the canal and onto Pearl Harbor. Okay, so through the Panama Canal, not all the way around Argentina, but taking the shortcut to the canal. And uh, so that's uh, now, were you flown to Hawaii? You were not on the ship as it sailed out there, is that correct? 
That is correct. Uh, both Gary and I flew across. We got there the previous Sunday and uh, started the process of, of getting everything ready and meeting the folks, the uh, family readiness group, the wives of the sailors, and you know, working with them to coordinate the events and make sure everything went off without a hitch. And uh, Wayne, I got to tell you, I love the the nickname they've given to the USS Vermont. I got I got to hear it from you. Big Sugar. Yeah, Big Sugar is the name of the USS Vermont. And uh, I understand that you can watch the streaming video of the boats going through the canal, but it was disabled for Big Sugar's passage through the canal. Is that correct? Um, I'll let Gary answer oh, yeah. that. He's more involved yeah. with that. There are, there, are, there are at least three streaming video cameras normally uh, streaming operations in the canal. Uh, one at both the Atlantic and Pacific entries to the canal, and one on a set of locks in the middle. When a uh, when a high asset, a high value asset like the Vermont transits the canal, the cameras are disabled. Uh, we were, however, able to get some pictures of that because one of the Vermont's former officers knew when our boat was going through the canal, and he found pictures of the Vermont taken by a Panama Canal helicopter pilot, and shared them with uh, the families and with the VSG. So when they specifically shut down um, the the streaming video for the boats going through the canal, that is that a recommendation by the U.S. Navy that that be done? Is it a recommendation or is it like an edict? Well, I, I understand it is standard procedure when uh, one of our you know, key naval assets goes through. And okay, and some Vermonters in the area helping you out to get it on social media. That's uh, that's terrific. So, hey, tell me what the USS Vermont actually is in terms of a vessel. Well, the USS Vermont is uh, the 19th in the Virginia class. It is a fast attack submarine, nuclear propulsion, uh, equipped with uh, cruise missiles and torpedoes. Uh, it's Mission is uh, is both to support the the, uh, the surface fleet. Uh, it can take out uh, adversaries' boats uh, on the surface and and underwater. It's uh, responsible for operating in the littorals, the the shallower waters. And uh, some versions of the Virginia class boats also have uh, a, a little piggyback uh, vessel that is used by uh, by uh, folks from the Secret Service, military, that sort of thing for uh, for being uh, able to get over uh, onto the shore of some of our of some, some of our challenges. Well, I, I don't know exactly how long it takes to sail from Groton, Connecticut to uh, Pearl Harbor, but I imagine there's quite some time in there for the crew to uh, get a routine, get themselves into shape, and, and start working on the tasks that the USS Vermont did. What, what were the folks on the Vermont doing on their way to Hawaii? Well, they, uh, of- uh, one of the things, one of the things that they had to do was, uh, it's interesting when they got to the, the canal itself, uh, there, normally you would meet the, the mules there that cabled up against the submarine and drugged it through the canal. But, uh, uh, they weren't there when they were supposed to be. So our boat entered the canal with its own propulsion and navigation. So that was a bit of a challenge until they hooked up to the mules. The mules are effectively like uh, train engines that go up each side of the canal. But uh, among the other things they had to do is uh, when they went from the Atlantic to the Pacific, there was uh, an awful lot of systems that need to be reset for their new operating environment. 
and apparently that's a fairly significant effort for the crew to complete as they uh, as they approach Pearl Harbor. And Wayne, I heard you were going to add something there. Well, as with any underway period, they have uh, qualifications, both individual and system-wide qualifications for the sailors on the boat. They also have training that they have to do, and they have a list of items that they need to do as they go across, uh, especially going from the Atlantic to the Pacific. They have to be trained in the different operating zones and procedures that are used in the Pacific fleet and uh, that type of thing. So they stay very busy when they're underway. And so the USS Vermont arrives at Pearl Harbor, and judging from where it may be deployed, that may be the easternmost point that that ship spends for a while because more than half of the U.S. Navy's submarine force is based in the Indo-Pacific region due to the area's strategic importance. So uh, they're in Hawaii now, but probably doing uh, patrols, what, toward toward China and Japan in that area? Well, anywhere in the Pacific would be open to their operation zone, with Hawaii being the being the home port. So, as the needs of the Navy and the and our government go, that's where the Vermont will go. And uh, she's proven in the past that she's up to any challenge, and I'm sure she'll be as outstanding in the Pacific as she was in the Atlantic. The USS Vermont arrived in Pearl Harbor on July 27th, about two weeks ago, and. What you and the USS Vermont Support Group uh, talk about the ceremony. You were welcomed with a traditional arrival ceremony. Now, I just watched the bounty with uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins and Mel Gibson, and they talk about the ship arrives on the island. All the folks come out to greet the ship as it comes in. So there is a traditional ceremony uh, when you arrive in some of these islands. And tell us about what that event was when the USS Vermont arrived in Pearl Harbor. Well, uh, if effectively it began with the creation of something called a cup sign, which basically is a sort of half plastic cups that go into a chain link fence. And the FRG had created a design uh, welcoming the USS Vermont to her new home port. And uh, we joined together with uh, some of the family members in building that sign in advance of the boat's arrival. Uh, when when uh, when it got there, uh, you know, we were very impressed and thankful for Squadron One's support of the arrival. And uh, their their Lieutenant J.G. Kyle Nelson was acting as the general contractor for the event. But they handled the the arrival logistics. There was a barbecue on the pier. They arranged for a uh, what's called a white boat for the families to sail alongside the USS Vermont on the way in. And they handled the media coverage of the event. It was uh, it was very well done. Also, we were fortunate to work with the Honolulu Navy League's Jane Ferreira, who who coordinated uh, Hawaiian dancers for the event, and she assisted us with securing green and black kakui nut shell lays for the sailors of the Vermont and uh, made sure our crew and family's arrival experience was was memorable. Uh, One of the things that happened when uh, when we met, we went out on the tug to meet the sub, is we delivered uh, what's called a, uh, a, a lay, <laughs> a 30-plus-foot-long green and white lay that went over the sail of the USS Vermont, and that's a, a fairly traditional event for any new boat coming into the harbor. Well, so there you, uh, you – oh, go ahead. No, that, I'm finished. Uh, and, and so the lay – all the soldiers uh, and sailors get their 
get the lay placed over their head when they arrive, and uh, one big lay for the boat, uh, Big Sugar, as it came into Pearl Harbor. And as you said, hula dancers, a shell for each member of the crew, the Army Band there to perform, and then a lot of Vermont specialty foods were involved. Now, i got to tell you guys, a lot of the people that are sailing on that ship are not from Vermont. That's another happy addition for them uh, that they get included into all the love they're receiving from folks in the Green Mountain State. Indeed. Uh, it's it's uh, one of the things that we're responsible for is acculturating the new crew members to uh, to what it means to be part of the Vermont uh, and the state that they represent each day they go to work. So in support of the barbecue, the VSG reached out to Vermont Specialty Foods Association Executive Director Erin Segrist with a list of Vermont maple condiments we identified and kind of asked her to make introductions for us. Uh, we approached Amy and Steve Wheeler of Jed's Maple Products in Derby for Jed's Spicy Maple Mustard, uh, Pagan Lyman Powers in West Dover for Lyman Sweet and Sassy Pepper Relish, uh, Vermont Agency of Agriculture's 2022 Fantastic Farmer, Jenna Baird at Baird Farm for Maple Ketchup, and lastly, Rob Houseline, also known as Sugar Bob, for his Maple Sriracha Barbecue Sauce. So uh, each of them was delighted to participate in providing their taste of Vermont for the arrival barbecue. You know, and as always, uh, we encourage Vermonters to support our partners as they support the crew and families of the USS Vermont. Wow, those so we've fo- had a long history with those folks, and, it, and they're always happy to work with us. Uh, those folks, uh, so the s- sailors not only getting some Vermont products, but getting some of the best of Vermont as they were welcomed in at Pearl Harbor. Besides you, who else was there from Vermont? Well, it was just uh, Wayne and myself, and we did have uh, at least one other VSG member there, uh, George Leonard and his wife Linda. From uh, there, actually live in uh, in Florida, and they're the parents of one of the submariners. But it was just Wayne and I from Vermont. Uh, the ship's sponsor, Gloria Valdez, was she in attendance, and what is her role with the USS Vermont? Well, ship sponsor Gloria was planning to attend with us, but uh, was unable to do so as she kind of dealt with her father's well-being issues in New Mexico. But uh, she is uh, she is the best of sponsors. Each Navy ship has a sponsor, and uh, most of them are are, are political appointees, uh, that sort of thing. But uh, Gloria has spent 32 years as a civilian executive working with the Navy. And when she retired, she was the assistant deputy secretary of the Navy in charge of shipbuilding and modernization. So she is uh, both well-known and widely respected within the Navy and uh, actually is currently on the board of AUKUS, which is the uh, collaboration between the U.S., U.K., and Australia to enable Australia to support a Virginia-class submarine and eventually to build their own. We're talking with Gary Freimeyer, the president, and Wayne Pickett, secretary and treasurer of the USS Vermont Support Group. You can uh, call us with a comment or question at 802-244-1777. And I want to take a moment for you to explain what the USS Vermont Support Group is. Uh, Gary, please explain the group's mission and plans to continue to support the sailors on the USS Vermont, no matter how far they are away. Yeah, glad to do it. Uh, The USS Vermont Support Group is an all-volunteer charity organization of individuals, associations, and businesses dedicated to providing support for the USS Vermont, her officers, crew, and families, 
for the life of the boat, expected to be about 30 to 35 years. So regardless of where our boat might be, we have several programs that will endure, including a canvas sunshine bag with USS Vermont on one side and Freedom and Unity on the other. And each one of those is presented to a new Vermont sailor. And the bags each contain a Vermont Strong license plate. Uh, the DMV continues to make them for us, and I understand there's going to be a new round of them going forward, so we might have a different flavor of license plate going forward. But uh, they'll also include a pint of maple syrup, uh, tastes of Vermont that we get from the VSFA, and there's always information in there from the FRG helping the sailors navigate the, the myriad of support functions available to them at Pearl Harbor. So some of the other things we'll do on an ongoing basis, uh, you know, we've done this since uh, about 2019, but uh, we provide Vermont teddy bear champ stuffies for each new crew member baby. Uh, we provide hull steel pieces from the build of the USS Vermont that are presented to each of the Sailor of the Quarter Award winners. And we'll continue to support uh, holiday parties and crew events uh, as appropriate. And I, I would say best forecast for the next visit to Pearl Harbor may well be in 2024 when we anticipate a change of command ceremony to be uh, likely. And Wayne Pickett, Secretary and Treasurer of the USS Vermont Support Group. It sounds like you're working with a lot of businesses and organizations to uh, generate uh, your resources for the support group. But I suspect there is opportunity for anybody who is so moved to make a contribution. Absolutely. Anyone is is welcome to join us. Um, Get on our email list to get uh, updated information on events. Uh, that we are holding and any special occasions. Uh, we currently are manning a booth at the Addison County Field Days, which starts today. Uh, so there'll be a booth there with uh, members of the support group uh, with merchandise uh, to sell, stories to tell, and uh, everything that would help us support the families and sailors of the USS Vermont. So it's open to anybody. We do work with a lot of organizations. The Vermont Maple Sugar Association has been one of our biggest and staunchest supporters, along with the uh, specialty foods, as Gary had mentioned. And uh, we welcome as many people that want to be involved. You can be involved as, as little as receiving emails or as active as manning a booth at a fair or uh, being involved with uh, events such as our last event down in Groton where we had the Vermonters weekend and had probably about 350-plus people take the opportunity to tour the boat. So it's an ongoing mission. We're always looking for help and volunteers and people with great ideas on ways to support it, and we want to make sure the people of Vermont are well aware of their namesake submarine that's representing the state extremely well, and we're very proud of her and her crew. I understand that the two of you had a very special experience at Pearl Harbor with the boat's arrival. What can you tell us about that? Well, it was a nice uh, surprise, and it shows the the strong ties between the USS Vermont and the support group and, therefore, the people of Vermont. Uh, we rode out with the uh, captain's wife and the Cobb's chief of the boat's wife in the tug, and we were delivering the large 30-foot lay to the boat to be put on the sail. And when they dropped the brow, Gary and I were invited to come aboard and uh, we were on the boat. We, we were hoping they would let us help put the, the lay over the sail, but that's a pretty uh, involved procedure, and they 
they uh, preferred us to go down below. Uh, once we got below decks, the XO escorted us to the control room and kind of parked us in a corner, and we got to watch the whole evolution of the, the boat coming into port. Uh, the XO explained what was going on in different aspects of it. Um, we got to see the video of the of the boat coming in, um, got to chat a little bit with some of the sailors that were actually piloting the boat, and it was an extremely uh, uh, wonderful experience and a great honor for the two of us to be able to uh, ride the boat in. Are the sailors on the USS Vermont fully trained, or are they arriving at Pearl Harbor with more training in store there before a deployment? There's always training. Uh, the training never ends. There's uh, each individual sailor has to be uh, qualified on the on the submarine, the operations of the submarine, and earn their dolphins, which basically means they need to have a working knowledge of any system on the boat. So, in the event of a casualty or or an emergency, if they're anywhere in the boat, they can help. There's also their uh, training on their specialties, whether they're a sonar men or radio men an engineer, an electrician. So that training is ongoing. And uh, right now I would I would say that the boat is made up of a mixture of folks that have been on there for uh, several years that are basically as qualified as they can be on the boat other than, you know, reemphasizing it. And then you have new people. So you always have a nice influx of new sailors coming in, old sailors going off. So, there's a wide variety of the level of qualifications, but they're truly, as a crew, they are fully qualified in operating the boat and supporting the needs of the boat. And the officers, and the, especially the executive officers and the chief of the boat and the captain do a wonderful job in making sure that everything goes smoothly. And as a fast attack submarine, I would be inclined to think that most of their uh, focus would be on um, – you know, offensive tactics and, and, you know, military applications, but they are trained not only in combat operations, but humanitarian assistance and disaster relief. So this submarine could show up in some place and support people in need. Absolutely. They're, they're uh, capable of doing many different functions and, and, uh, in defense of the U.S. and, and welcoming or taking care of whatever needs are out there. So, um, yes, we should feel very confident and happy to have them on our, in our defense. And I understand. One of the, oh, go ahead, one please. Of the missions, one of the missions of the sailors that, uh, that you didn't mention, and uh, this is from a briefing that Commander Phillips gave at Norwich University a couple of years ago, but he said uh, one of the key things you have to learn is to be a spy because uh, with uh, fast attack submarines, they spend a lot of time in the shallow waters and they do a lot of surveillance and reconnaissance. And uh, that's uh, a very critical aspect of, of what they bring to the Navy's uh, performance. Well, it must be a very intriguing job to uh, spend your time on a fast attack submarine. That's what the sailors at the USS Vermont are doing. They arrived in Pearl Harbor in Hawaii less than two weeks ago and preparing for their next mission out in the Pacific Ocean. We're talking with Gary Freimeyer and Wayne Pickett, the President and the Secretary and Treasurer of the USS Vermont Support Group. You both were at the event uh, before the USS Vermont took off 
from Connecticut in Groton. Were they giving, can you get a tour, a guided tour of a fast attack submarine? Well, I think you're referring to Vermonters Weekend, which was held uh, about uh, a week or so before they departed from Groton. But uh, when we had the commissioning ceremony for the USS Vermont in 2020, we anticipated about 2,500 people on the pier that would be taking advantage of a tour of the USS Vermont. Of course, uh, COVID uh, precluded that from happening. So we held a uh, commemorative commissioning in 2021, again with the intent to offer tours. And uh, that also was nixed by the Navy out of concerns for COVID. So uh, we had been at that commissioning event, the commemorative commissioning, the uh, sponsor was giving her, her presentation and she turned to the Secretary of the Navy, Carlos Del Toro, and said that uh, she, is, she wants to be sure that we would give Vermonters the opportunity to tour the USS Vermont. And he nodded his head, uh, therefore securing our opportunity to do so at Vermonters Weekend, which is uh, early June. So as, as Wayne mentioned before, I think we put about close to 350 Vermonters through the USS Vermont on uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of that first weekend in June. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a great experience. Uh, we had tremendous response from the people that were able to do it. Uh, the, the crew enjoyed it as much as the, the tour takers did, and uh, it was uh, certainly a memorable experience. I'll, I'll give you one anecdote that came out of it, which was a bit of a surprise. But one of the folks that toured it was uh, Lieutenant General Mike Duby, uh, formerly of the Air National Guard. And he was somehow rather involved in a briefing in Hawaii with uh, Admiral Pareto, who was uh, talking about China, talking about uh, the submarines in the South China Sea, and uh, asked, uh, when he was finished with his briefing, he asked, are there any questions? And uh, Mike Duby raised his hand and said, I have a question, but first let me tell you about my tour of the USS Vermont. <laughs> so he went on at great lengths to talk about the experience that he had, and the, uh, the admiral there at Pearl Harbor was, uh, was delighted to hear it. So, yes, it's, uh, there's an opportunity, there was an opportunity to visit the boat uh, when it's in Pearl Harbor. Uh, if you have uh, a, a, a sailor on board or if there's some sort of a event, uh, you may still be able to get a tour. But it's uh, it's more rare on a new boat than it is on a boat that's been around for a long, long time. So uh, it, it was a great experience for Vermonters, and we're pleased to have been able to put it together for them. Wayne Pickett, uh, Secretary and Treasurer with the USS Vermont Support Group. What are you, what were your personal uh, feelings, thoughts, and impressions as you toured the USS Vermont Fast Attack Submarine? Well, it was a mixture of amazement and uh, uh, just pure pleasure to be able to go on board the Vermont and actually see it, it uh, in its glory, as I would say. Um, the sailors were very uh, helpful. They were very friendly. Um, they gave us whatever answered our questions the best they could. Um, and we got to see, uh, it was a very easy paced tour. Um, actually a couple of the early ones went a little bit long, so we had to kind of rein them in a little bit, but, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was a, a, a very, uh, fantastic opportunity to get on board one of the newest of the Navy submarines. Oh, you know, when a tour is going longer than you expect it to, Gary, that's probably because people are finding a lot of interesting things that they want to take a look at on that boat. Your impressions? 
Well, it was, uh, there's certain things I, I always joke with each new commanding officer, and, and we're on our third right now. But uh, I say my son works for Knowles Atomic Power Labs. It does the nuclear propulsion for the USS Vermont and other, the Virginia-class boats. And uh, so that's the reactor and the propulsor and the engine room. And uh, those are things that uh, I will never be able to see. Anybody who took you back into the engine room would be immediately relieved of their responsibilities on the boat and possibly prosecuted. So, so it is, uh, it, it's uh, very impressive to walk through there. When you go through there with older submariners, you know, they look at the level of technology. They look at uh, the, the first thing they notice is there is no such thing as a, a, of a periscope anymore. They have what that's called a photonic mast, which basically acts like uh, it's above the, the hull of the boat. It's in the sail, and it's a, a mast that extends up, and it's got a camera on top. So it it has the ability to uh, to look at uh, to, you know to look out and see uh, IR, a lot of different capabilities, and everything that you're seeing out of that camera is on a large screen display in the command center of the boat. So that, that was a surprise. But the, the guys that have been there for a long time that were in the old diesel boats, you know, they said, well, the only two things we recognized was the bubble, and it's just a little curved piece of glass that kind of shows you what the attitude of the boat is. They said that and the low-grade toilet paper looks the same. Everything else was new and amazing. <laughs> and I, I'm spacing on the word. What is the, what is the thing that pops up? See, the periscope. So they've obsoleted the periscope in the U.S. Navy now. Is that right? Uh, all the new submarines have photonic <laughs> mass. That's correct. Oh, uh, wow. Well, nothing stay the same. Xenia from Barrytown. Good morning. You're on Vermont Viewpoint with, uh, Wayne, uh, Wayne and Gary. Good, uh, welcome aboard. Thank you. Um, I have a question uh, based on years ago. I tried big city living in Boston, uh, but since I grew up in Vermont, it didn't really work after a while. But one of the things I did there was work um, at uh, a uh, uh, a Navy refitting uh, shipyard and uh, as an electrician's apprentice and. Uh, got to be friendly with some of the sailors, one in particular, and uh, they told me the unofficial motto of the Navy is, if it moves, salute it. If it doesn't move, paint it. And I'm wondering if that's still the Navy unofficial motto. <laughs> Go ahead, fellas. I, I think that would still be appropriate. <laughs> hey. Thanks for the call, Xenia. I understand that many of the families had the opportunity to join their spouses on this assignment. And how long before the sailors head back to sea? Well, I'll take that one. The majority of the USS Vermont families are now in Hawaii. Uh, there are a few that won't be moving as their sailors tour on the Vermont will, will end fairly soon. So uh, for this uh, arrival ceremony, we provided those that couldn't make it to the, uh, the arrival in Hawaii with gift certificates so they could at least have a taste of Vermont similar to what was happening on the pier on the arrival date. So when the boat got there on the 27th, we were told uh, to the family's dismay that the boat would have about five days on shore before leaving for the next underway. And uh, we don't have any idea how long that might be, but understand when they're back, they'll have around five weeks at home there in Pearl Harbor with their families before heading back out. 
So it'll be our responsibility to ensure a, a good supply of Vermont teddy bear stuffies is adequate to handle the volume uh, nine months after that five-week return. And do I understand it right that the families were flown out to Hawaii, or did they accompany their spouses on the ship? Now they're they're all flown out. The the vehicles are shipped out. Uh, it's a major logistical challenge to uh, to get their moves done. But uh, no, they they would not be riding on the boat for. Uh, they might be able to ride on the boat for a tiger cruise or an overnight, just as. Uh, as kind of a courtesy, but uh, when the boat's active like that, there won't be civilians on board. Is it an all-male crew, or is it men and women? Well, right now, it is all-male. Uh, we've got, uh, depending on the, the mission, we've got uh, usually around 130 or so uh, men on board, uh, 15 officers in, in that range, and 120 enlisted. But uh, we are the SSN 792. The SSN 795 or 6, I can't remember which, the USS New Jersey, will be the first uh, fully integrated crew in the Virginia-class submarines. The, the Ohio-class right now, the, the nuclear uh, deterrent, the, the boomers, uh, they have an integrated crew already. You know, the men and women serve on those boats. But uh, it's not for a couple more boats after ours before the Virginia-class will be fully integrated. I almost feel like women might be better suited to uh, work in a submarine because they're they're shorter in stature. There's a lot of low bridges uh, in a submarine. You fellows took the tour. Uh, any uh, bumps on your head after going underneath all of those portholes? Well, I can, no, I can no tell you that. Our heads. Un- my, go ahead. I was going to say no bumps on our heads. Uh, we're not. Uh, I'm only about five ten. I think Gary's a little bit taller, but. Uh, the, the passageway is clear, and just to make sure there's no misunderstanding, there are no portholes on a submarine. I know. I, 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 I totally <laughs> fished out the wrong word there. Uh, whatever it is when you move from one port of the submarine to the other, what do they call that? A uh, passageway. Thank you. you. you just Yes. <laughs> and it's up and down ladders. Okay. Um, there are tight spaces, and uh, you, you get to, you know, if you're tall enough, you learn how to, to walk with a slight bend in your neck to avoid uh, hitting your head, but uh, that's that's a that's a early task for the sailors to learn. Didn't take and Wayne very long to my, peg me as a landlubber. <laughs> <laughs> hey. My son was uh, on the Alpha cruise of the USS Vermont. That's the first time they go out and uh, and they go fast and go deep. He's about six five, and uh, it didn't take him very long at all to learn to wear that little plastic helmet. <laughs> ah, you know, I was I was wondering if there might be some sort of headgear to protect. Is it uh, customary for them to wear them on a submarine, or do most folks just know to keep their head down? Well, that's a lot. Most folks know to keep their head down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, I'm with Gary Freimeyer and Wayne Pickett with the USS Vermont Sport, uh, Support Group. And a couple quick questions for you here, fellas. Uh, Gary, how many... Sailors are make up the crew of the USS Vermont. Uh, at commissioning, there were 138. Usually, it's around 130 to 135, and it's broken up into roughly 15 officers and 120 enlisted. When this ship or submarine leaves Pearl Harbor, how long can it be deployed before it has to come in and resupply? 
Well, that's a, frankly, the, the nuclear submarines are capable of staying underwater indefinitely. And the only thing that would bring them up would be uh, a mechanical issue, uh, a medical issue, or the need to replenish food. But, uh, Wayne, your perspective on how long they'll be under typically? Uh, well, it's hard to say. It, it depends on what's going on. A lot of times they go out for a week, maybe two weeks at a time, and, and do training. If they um, do a extended deployment, uh, sometimes called a Westpac, they could be gone for up to six months. So it's it's uh, there's no set time, and as Gary said, uh, if we didn't have to eat, they could stay out there forever um, with the nuclear power. Well, I'm surprised the U.S. Navy isn't already working on a way to make food in a submarine. Then they could stay out there indefinitely. It seems like a Defense Department project that they might figure out before too much longer. Probably a lot of seafood available. <laughs> hey, it's a nuclear-powered submarine, so how much power is is backing this submarine? Is it comparable to the amount of energy that is produced at, say, a plant like Vermont Yankee, or is it way smaller than that? I would say it's way smaller yep. than that. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I jokingly would love to see the nuclear reactor in, in the USS Vermont, which will never happen, but I'm told I would be greatly disappointed because it looks basically like a 50 gallon drum. So it, it, the amount of power it generates is, uh, it's, and I don't have the document in front of me, but it's, you know, it's a known quantity and they, it'll push the boat uh, about 28 plus miles per hour. And, uh, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's insufficient. For everything that they want to do, it's one of the fastest boats out there, and uh, it, uh, their uh, their motto at the Nuclear Navy is uh, "We never stop." Well, Gary, you just issued the USS Vermont Support Group's second quarter newsletter. If listeners are interested in finding out about the USS Vermont in its new home port, uh, folks can sign up to get the newsletter. How do they do that? There's a lot of information and a lot of great pictures inside. Well, there's, uh, the simplest way is, if you're interested, is to send an email to ussvtvsg at gmail.com, where you can sign up for uh, to be part of the VSG and receive our newsletters. But you had mentioned earlier, and, and I want to make sure folks know that either on uh, the website, ussvermont.org, or on the Facebook page, USS Vermont Support Group, you'll find links there to uh, a number of pictures that are out there for the arrival ceremony. You'll see uh, great images of the cup sign, what that's all about, uh, the boat with the, the layover it, and a lot of pictures from the pier, as well as some videos of, that were taken of the Hawaiian dancers and, and, and other kind of uh, support ideas. But it's, uh, you know, it's out there, it's available, and I'd encourage folks to take a look at it because there's some really excellent images. And, Gary, with the USS Vermont and her sailors 5,000 miles away, what's next for the USS Vermont support group? Well, we'll, uh, we'll stay in touch with Family Readiness Group. They will be our primary liaisons to the boat. And uh, as they begin to plan uh, fall, uh, they'll have no, no question events like uh, Halloween. They'll have an annual holiday party. Uh, as they begin the planning for that, we'll be part of that planning and make donations and provide uh, support, products, et cetera, as, as we see fit going forward. 
And what should someone do if they want to join the support group? Well, again, just send a, an email to ussvtvsg at gmail.com, indicate your interest, and we'll send you a, a welcome letter. If there are those folks out there who would be interested in, in financial support but uh, don't want to take the time to uh, get involved, uh, at the website there is a page called Make a Donation, and we're always welcoming any kind of contributions from Vermonters. Uh, there was a press conference in April announcing Vermont Weekend, the presentation of the resolution honoring the officers and crew of the USS Vermont. And I understand that a, a near travesty was avoided. The Vermont Maple Sugar Makers Association ended their uh, stretch of serving artificial syrup. In addition, they had their annual meeting, and Gary was invited and handed out certificates to sugar makers. That was a, a near disaster avoided in that instance, Gary. Well, when the VMFMA found out that the sailors were normally provided with artificial syrup, they, it just wasn't right. Not uh, the USS Vermont. So uh, we they provided us with 15 gallons of syrup to get them from Groton over to Pearl Harbor. And uh, we'll continue to support a different county each year. We'll support pints to the sunshine bags for the sailors. So we're, we're bound and determined to have them only Vermont's finest. Right. And I agree. Let's only put real maple sugar on big sugar, uh, the USS Vermont, right? Absolutely. That's good. Hey, I appreciate you fellas joining me here on Vermont Viewpoint this morning. Gary Freimeyer, the president, and Wayne Pickett, the secretary and treasurer of the USS Vermont Support Group. And uh, they have been uh, joining us here this hour here on WDEV. Thank you both for being a part of the show. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having us and getting the word out. All right. Gary Freimeyer and Wayne Pickett here on Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV FM and AM. Kevin Ellis will host Vermont Viewpoint tomorrow morning starting at 9 o'clock right here on the stations of Radio Vermont, WDEV FM and AM. After our 30 minutes of coverage of the Vermont's uh, governor's briefing regarding our flooding response, Bill Sayer hosts Common Sense Radio brought to you by the Ethan Allen Institute. That's on the way right here on the friendly pioneer, WDEV FM and AM. My thanks to Danny McKivergan for producing our program today. Vermont Viewpoint is an exclusive presentation of Radio Vermont.